Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Ladies and gentlemen, in this episode, I have a discussion with a Louisiana anonymous teacher. This woman is an absolute saint, and she reached out to me on Gab, and she said, Hey, look, I've got an email I want to send you. I want to tell you a little bit about what's going on in the state of Louisiana and in the school district where I work. And I said, you got to be on the podcast, 100%. And so this is our discussion. She brings up a great deal of things. She's a fantastic person, a great educator. She's on the verge of retiring. She's looking forward to that. But even she says, hey, look, I love this business, and I love the students that I've taught over the years, and it's an absolute shame that it's come to this, but even she agrees that the business is completely crumbling, without a doubt. Just a total lack of morals, a lack of values within the business and the people that are running it. And she brings up a lot of specifics about her experience here regarding 2020, 2021, and the things that are currently taking place right now. She even tells us that in the school district where she was working, they were actually paying staff members and students to take PCR tests. I got to tell you, I've never even heard of that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's beyond remarkable. But uh, here's our conversation, and I wish her the absolute best. And again, she's more than welcome to come back with any more information she has. So give this discussion a listen. Make sure you share it wherever you can, and I'll catch you on Friday. Uh, I'm looking forward to retiring and, and getting out of education uh, in this capacity as, as soon as possible. I hate to say that, but that's, that's the truth. Yeah, that's, so, the, that's the state of affairs right now, no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said in the in the beginning, um, when I messaged, uh, emailed you, um, I, I I guess my perspective of education and systems and the government was very um, skewed. You know, my parents were poor; they grew up. Education was valuable to them, and it was important. And not that you have to trust everybody and be naive, but you want to do the right things and people are generally good and people, you know, all of that rose colored glasses. And I guess getting into education for myself was that I was going to, you know, affect the world and change these children and impact their lives. And I think for the most part I have, um, I just didn't see the big picture till really right up until I, I, well, till 2020, you know, um, that really brought a lot of things to light for me. So I, I just grew up being naive and assuming that we're all on the right track. Of course, you know, going through college and um, teaching, my first couple of years of teaching, uh, I saw, yeah, you know, there's problems, but generally we're on the right track. And um, my, my first taste of and happiness was when I was still teaching regular education and um, we have this federal judge that came into our parish or our district and mandated that if we're going to continue to get these federal funds, we have to desegregate the population of teachers and students within the district. And this was like in 99. And it didn't matter that I had been teaching at this one particular school for eight years. I was the last one hired. I had to be relocated. I was relocated as um, 
a white teacher into a predominantly black, no, not predominantly, 100% black population and 100% black faculty. And I'm very open. Um, I get along with everybody. And, you know, it was hard not culturally, but just because I didn't know anybody. But then when I, that's when I realized, wait a minute, they have this much power over us, you know? So that was my first taste of things aren't right. You know, they're, they're telling us to do this and it doesn't matter what's good for the students or the community. And, um, you know, it just was unfair also. And and it was reversed as well. There were black teachers displaced, taken out of their community and put in other areas or told, well, we don't know if we have a position for you. Um, I I don't even know why I'm going on that rant, but (laughs) I hadn't intended on talking about that. But, um, it matters. I mean, that's a big deal. When you have... Oh, I, I, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Go, go for it. Well, I just, I can remember the first, you know, staff meeting. Everybody left as partners and friends. And I sat there in the parking lot eating by myself thinking, okay, <laughs> wow, this is what it is. But, I mean, I was grateful for the job. And, and I ended up really, really, like I, I always say, if I ever, ever had to go back into a classroom, I'd want to go back to that school, that environment, those people, again, in a heartbeat. Um, which ultimately, that position led me to the alternate certification in the graduate program that uh, specialized me with um, students who are blind and visually impaired and uh, students with low incidence disabilities, which is a very unique degree and there's very limited um, number of people certified to do this. So I did I did that for like, I don't even remember, seems like 14, 17 years. And um, then I came into this position as the um, assistive technology facilitator on the district level, um, which with the with the VI certification got me into special education. So I've been out of the general regular education setting for a while, which I've been grateful for. But, um, you know, I, I really, really, really love this position that I got into um, because I wasn't limited to just visually impaired and blind students. So I could help, you know, students with orthopedic impairments, speech, autism, communication. So, you know, that was great in 2018, and then my whole world got raw shortly afterwards. So, um, you know, and I, I think kind of like what Dr. Robin described on your one of your previous podcasts, mm-hmm. uh, I was lucky because I was born in 71. I graduated, you know, in the late 80s, started college right away. I, I still was educated by those good core educators you know yeah common core hadn't come into effect and um this new way of thinking you know we were still learning the the old-fashioned way should i say and i think that influenced a lot because i didn't let curriculums or teachers manuals dictate what i taught but that's what it's come to now so um yep i agree with you uh, unfortunately, that that old philosophy, which was the tried and true way of doing things, and it really can be that basic, is no more. No, and it's when we it's purposefully that way. 
now I see that. Yeah. Now I see that. I mean, and, and I'm very fortunate that my boys were in private school. Um, and then when we were able to do that, it was a sacrifice. And well, I, I can get to that later. I'm just I'm jumping ahead. <clears throat> um, but what I see, and I've seen now, especially since in this position, there's just nobody graduating in education anymore. I mean, in special education, a couple of years ago, maybe 17, 2017 or 2018, I know of um, a university that a lot of our local students go to. Uh, one person graduated in special education. One. And it's a four-year college in, in Baton Rouge. Um, it's not LSU, but still, it's, you know, um, that's that's frightening. And the number of student teachers that are actually graduating in the field of education that were actually trained and practicums and the psychologies and I mean, maybe none of that was good anymore. I don't know. It's been so long. Um, they're not graduating and coming into education. If they do graduate in education, they sure don't stay long. I can't blame them, yeah. you know. Um, and people who happen to have a four-year degree, well, they need a job. Will they get into education? Um, and I, I call them warm bodies, especially with my population of teachers that I um, – uh, oversee, you know, we have, we're like the lowest of incidents, really involved, very demanding students, you know, what we used to call, um, severe, profound, um, alternate assessment, you know, nonverbal diaper. These are very involved students. Well, that's the last place anybody wants to be to teach or work with. There's very few that I have. Um, on my roster, teacher-wise, that actually have been there by choice. Most people, it's a warm body, a revolving door. People are coming and going every year. We're retraining, and oh, it's it's frustrating, you know. And then I, it's not as bad in other special education sections. <clears throat> Excuse me, or um, in regular education, but it's it's equally troublesome i mean i found out last week one of my better schools in the district that i'm in has three out of five kindergarten teachers retiring because they're just done i mean where are we going to find three certified experienced kindergarten teachers tell us about your 2020 experience what happened in 2020 when everybody went crazy and, uh, you know, how did your district react to it? What was the response from the employees, the students? What was your response? Oh, it was crazy. Well, let me preface that. We had a cyber attack January of 2020. We had every system shut down across the district for probably about six weeks. Our um, main server was hacked and we just had so many issues and we had starting over with technology. Um, and we were just getting back up and running in 2020 when um, COVID hit. And it, it was scary at first and frightening because we're, we're all listening to the same information. Um, we shut down. Uh, students went home. Um, we worked our butts off that summer as to how are we going to provide education for our students that are 
you know, at home. What, what were we going to do? And then the ESSER funding and all this money, start, uh, CARES Act, all of this money started coming in. And, um, you know, we have teachers that were home making packets, which was fine. I mean, it was given out. The year was ending anyway. We'll make do. Um, but they got really comfortable and really lazy. And for a very long time, People did not want to come back to work. And if they could use the excuse that they were scared, and I'm, I'm, I'm being hoarse because, you know, I just saw through all the BS uh, with COVID right away. When personally, I see uh, emergency room nurses that are home, sent home sick with COVID, people that I know. That, well, as long as you're 24 hours fever free, you can come back because we need you. And I'm like, wait a minute, we're quarantining people for 14 days? What's going on? You know? So, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and then early on in April, I had watched as, uh, Dr. Zelenko on with Mayor Giuliani um, interview, and he was talking about protocols and everything. And I'm like, okay, okay. And granted, in my office, in our special education department, um, there was about four or five of us that worked all summer. No, no distancing, no masks. It was just us. We were, you know, careful and everything, but um, we never got sick, you know, or anything. But some people relished it. That, of course, the district nurses seemed to love the drama of all of this and the limelight of all of this and we would have meetings school board meetings that would last for hours wow. with pe- hours i'm telling you i would get on a zoom call and it would go from you know six o'clock to eight or nine and things weren't resolved parents were scared the majority population in my district um are low socioeconomic uh you know population and um I call it a blue district. It, you know, and I hope that doesn't sound offensive to anybody, but it is um, predominantly a blue district. So they bought into it. And, you know, in the great state of Louisiana, we have John Bell Edwards, who who's a Democrat. Although I would say the majority of the people in our state are very conservative and very, you know, right-leaning. So uh, him being elected was a, a shock for us as well, because, like, wait a minute. It kind of felt like Trump as well with all of um, there had to be some cheating because nobody was voting for him. Right. You know, so um, people were very scared. And a lot of people in this area are not very well educated and they're very limited on, you know, sources of information. If the TV's not if they're not getting the news from. The TV, they're getting it from the school system or the health system. What were we telling them back then? Be scared, stay home, all of this. We still have people wearing masks regularly. And um, they are still, well, let me backtrack a little bit. So getting back to 2020, um, we shut down. We come back in August. Everybody's wearing masks. We spent a lot of time on doing hybrid and virtual settings and making plans for, like, you know, 
kids to come certain days of the week and alternating. And, and, and I know you're probably familiar with all that because um, some of those same plans are based on other states that were locked down. Um, and I saw it. Kids were not learning. They were not being instructed. Um, it, it was just a joke. And my son's school, um, well, they continue to have school. Even when they were home from April, uh, March through May, uh, we really had assignments. We really had lessons and activities and tests and things going on. It was all um, virtual, but we, we continued to actually learn. That was not happening in the public school system. Um, when we went back to school, with my, my son's school with the private system, um, they were precautions put into place. You know, they would stay in one setting. Uh, they were supposed to wear their masks to get on campus. Temperatures were checked. And if they left their classroom, you know, all of that good stuff. Well, that kind of started just waning away. And people just stopped saying they were sick. <laughs> or if you were sick, you would just go home and stay home and don't come back to school till you felt better, you know. Yeah. And, um, and we were a very small private school, so uh, we had football season. I mean, we don't have that many boys playing, so... If you say you're sick and you get tested and you have COVID, well, the whole football season, you know, was on standstill. So in the public system, oh, it was just not not like that. It was just everything was um, halted. Uh, some areas were starting later. We had these, I call them door frames of walking in, scanning our temperature devices, Um you had to answer these questions daily. Had you been exposed? All this contact tracing. It was just so invasive. Um, and some people, I'm telling you, they left March 15th and did not return for almost a year and a half because they were scared or they were concerned. So they stayed home and worked virtually from home, which was like, okay, um, well, that's nice. You <laughs> know? And uh, we had a lot of people, I had a lot of people asking me, uh, well, this must be nice. Teachers are in, must be enjoying their uh, five or six months now, you know, at home. Uh, and I'm like, no, not everybody is staying home. Most of us are still working behind the scenes trying to figure out how we're going to handle this, you know. Um, Was anyone fired as a, re uh, as a result of, of purposefully staying home or taking advantage of that? There was not someone fired, but he was strongly, well, it was very well documented, all the interactions with this individual, because it was, and there's a history there. Um, he ended up never coming back. Uh, not that he was fired, but um, he resigned. And you know how that goes. Well, sure. you know, we, yeah, it may be best for you to resign and move on. And he moved to Austin, so... There you go. Um, no one lost jobs. Uh, if anything, a lot of people retired. They're just not putting up with this. Um, what else? Let's see. Um, I mean, what was the end of 2021? What was the end of that school year like? And then, when, you know, the summer of 2021 and then that next, you know, this, uh, okay. th this past school year. Okay. Well, when the vaccine started coming around, you know, and it was like, well, let me let me say this. At the beginning of 21, no, no, I'm sorry. At the beginning of 2021 20, school year, 
there was a big push for testing. And I kept saying, these PCR tests are not accurate. Come the end of December, am I right? Some days my day, I, my years seem foggy because it seems like we just left for COVID and here it is, you know, how many years later? Um, it was last December, right? That, or am I getting ahead of myself? We left in 20, we came back in 20 to 21. Okay. And then this year, well, that's when they started this PCR testing and they were going to pay students and adults, you know, janitor, clerical, teachers, anybody, up to $25 a pop for every time they took a test, whether they were positive or negative, um, three times in a month. But you could test every week. So you could essentially make $75 a month. This was students, too. Of course, you had to have permission and everything. So like good little, you know, people, they would line up and go take their their COVID test. They are still doing that today. Now, I don't think they're getting paid as much as they had initially. I don't know if it's the funding. I'm like, well, that's, that's a lot of money. We have... I forgot what my statistics are as far as employees. Um, we have about 820 teachers in our parish right now. And um, the last document I found was like about 13,000 students. But that's not that's not accurate. That was on the website. I think we've lost at least 1,000, 1,500 students for whatever reasons. Um, but that's a lot of money when you think about it. And it's like, okay, <laughs> even $10 a pop. It's like, um, yeah, they're paying kids to test on a test that's faulty. They did away with it. I don't even know if they've changed the testing tool that they're using in my district to the newer, supposedly, more accurate testing. I don't know because I don't even get involved in that. I've never heard of that. I've never heard ever in the last two years of anybody getting paid to take a test, let alone students. Yes. There were not every parish did it. I want to say we were part of a pilot program and boy, they were excited with their bells and whistles at this (laughs) staff meeting, you know, promoting this. And it's like, okay, well you can make, you know, good little pocket change. And I'm like, and I know people signed up just to do it because, you know, well, at first they were like, well, you know, it's important to test and everything. And I'm like, but I'm not sick. I'm not running fever. I'm not testing. But there were several parishes or districts in this state that were piloting this and that's exactly what they did i mean i can send you the information that was sent out and shared uh with the louisiana department uh, of health that promoted this and there's still there's still a website what's the site i i put it down with my notes um if, I'll try to remember it if you want to look into it, but they're they're getting ten dollars right now currently. I know it was initially twenty five. Um, wow. Yeah, to, to test, you know, where is that money coming from? Well, whatever grant or CARES Act. Um, and where are the tests going? Where are the test results going? No clue. Yeah. It was just a no clue. Just gathering data, gather, gathering uh, DNA. DNA, say, samples. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Wow. 
And wow. I, I just couldn't believe that we were, I mean, I was like, okay, adults, wait, did y'all say students? Yes, if their parents sign up and they sign the waiver and they agree to yada, 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 there you go. They are still doing that in my district at my office every Friday morning. If you signed up for COVID testing, the nurses are here. Please meet us in the blank conference room. And they're doing it. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, and then knowing knowing how things are in education, um, I know these tests were probably provided for or bought, purchased prior. So I am suspecting that they're still using the same PCR tests that were faulty and no longer effective or, you know, last December where they said they were doing away with it just because that's what they have before they start something brand new. You know, there are still cases of um, masks, gloves, sanitizers, everything, all that protection ship in storage. And it's like, that's going to rot if it's not being spent. That just goes to show the amount of waste that that was used and, and shared um so when the in in so once the vaccines came out they were pushing for us to be vaccinated and a lot of people that were a little bit quieter um said well now wait a minute we're not buying into that and pe- most people know my position i'm pretty vocal um actually uh I expressed several things on Facebook, um, and I think I told you I was called in by the head of personnel, our personnel director, because someone had reported something I posted and shared, and it was um, a Nazi symbol, but, and you've probably seen the meme, it was, you know, like Google shots, uh, you know, YouTube Twitter, all the major big tech with the shots in the symbol of a, a swastika. Am I saying that right? In the Nazi symbol. And um, on a, I don't know, it, it was just Nazism. And it was offensive. It's what I was called in for because it was offensive. And um, I shouldn't be posting that. I need to be considerate of my position I'm in. And granted, I've had this account since um, 2003, and I have nothing related to work. I'm not friends with people from work. Uh, I don't do posts publicly. So this was somebody that maybe was a friend that reported me. Um, And um, I was called in for that. Uh, And it was on the day of my birthday. I was 50. It was my 50th birthday. And I'm like, well, I'll be doing this is what I'm having to deal with. And uh, he called me in and said this was reported, and I asked him. So I listened to him, and I said, um, so are you telling me I need to remove this? Because the whole point of this is the censorship that's been going on, you know, that we can't talk about things and we're not able to share. There's so much censorship. Um, do you not see this? Uh, I'm not promoting communism or to be a Nazi, I'm saying this is what's happening. And he said, well, you just have to be cognizant of the position you're in. I said, well, look, I'm an educator at heart. I'm teaching. I took Russian history as an elective in college. 
And I am continuing to teach even though I'm not in the position. And I feel it's my duty as an educator to educate people because it's not happening. And he, you know, he listened and, you know, people have different opinions. Yes, I understand. So my point with him was, so are you telling me to take it down? No, I'm, I'm not telling you that. Okay. Cause, cause he knew he couldn't tell me that. Wow. And I said, well, are you writing me up? And he says, no, I'm not writing you up. I said, then what are you telling me? You know, and he really couldn't tell me anything more. We had an hour long discussion. And I educated him a little bit about Russian history, whether he knew about it or not. I just said, this is the, the, the path we're on. And I said, and I don't understand. I have no, nothing district related. And this is on my own time, personal account. But you're making the point exactly of what I posted. And he had it printed out. So I knew people knew how I felt. And when they started pushing the uh, the shots, the vaccinations or uh, the jabs, I'm not going to call them vaccinations because I don't believe that that's what they are. Um, there's about four of us in our office that uh, were on the same page and they're like, well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Because um, that was at the beginning of this year when we were told in September that they were requiring or mandating us to be vaccinated. So um called a couple of school board members that I knew would be understanding. Um, we had a discussion. I contacted a lawyer because I'm not doing this. I'm not. Your district, um, wait, wait, I got to back up now. First of all, the, the guy who was going after the meme that you posted, he's, uh-huh. got, he's got a lot of nerve reminding you or anybody about being cognizant of your profession. I mean, he's got a lot of nerve. That's number oh, yeah. that's number 1. Number 2, your 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 whole district, I mean, your school board members voted to have the jabs be mandatory. That's what they wanted initially. Wow. Then after a lot of backlash from those of us who were not wanting it, um, the compromise was if you're not vaccinated, you have to submit to weekly testing and I said I'm not doing it I'm not running fever I'm not sick actually excuse me I have asthma so I'm pretty conscious of my health and I know it triggers you know parts of the year when I have seasonal allergy that causes asthma if I have a cough but in all honesty I started on the Dr. Zelenko protocol way back when we have been the healthiest in my family <laughs> and I don't know how long and I haven't taken a flu shot or any, none of us have and since uh, 19 I think was the last time so him mandating that and well not just him the whole district and that's what they wanted I was like I'm not taking it so here comes the Google survey form the Google form that you have to answer your vaccination status and I said the hell I am it's none of their business. It's none of their business. I'm not asking them, or do they want me to go to the school board meeting and ask, you, uh, have you had your um, AIDS test? Have you had your drug test? You know, I, I was I could be obnoxious like that if I wanted to, but I wasn't going to do it. I just said it's none of their business. So, you know, my coworkers are like, well, what are you saying on the uh, survey? I said, I'm not answering the survey. I didn't even open it. I know what it is. I'm not answering it. And they said, 
well, what if they say something? And I said, it's none of their business. It's a violation of privacy and my constitutional rights and my medical privacy. And it violates anybody else. If you want to give that information, that's fine. But I'm not. I'm not answering to that. And I'm not taking a weekly PCR test or whatever COVID test they want to prove that I'm healthy. That is a hypochondriac. You know, that's what you, you that's not that's insanity. Good for so, you. Um, Good for and, you. And the <laughs> yes. other the other four girls were well, I say girls, they're they're, they're women, were like, okay, so you're not answering. Nope. I'm not even acknowledging it. And they said, you know what, you're right. I said, exactly. What are they going to do? And I, I have a friend that's a lawyer. And he was like, okay, um, if, if you need, I have contacts, you know, we'll, we'll work on this. And we can do it anonymously, representing the group. And so he stopped me. Um, our, our children go to, uh, go to school together. And um, he said, how's it going? And I told him what happened. He said, good for you. You're handling it right. He said, that's great. Just let me know if you need anything. And I said, all right. They never bothered us. They never checked up. They never followed through on us. And they asked me, uh, my friends, I said, are you going to take COVID? No, I'm not. So when they make their all call, none of us go. And no one asked us anything. No one's confronted us with anything. I, I, I just went on living my best life. Like, this is not your business. And I'm not going to make it. I'm not allowing you to be in my business. And so that's how I handle that. And, I, you know, I would wear the mask to go into the office and wear it to walk out. But when I was in my office, I didn't wear a mask. And anybody comes in, I would say, you don't need to wear it. I'm good. If you feel that you need to, go ahead. I'm fine. You know? Um, and that's pretty much how I handled that aspect of it, or we handled it. And uh, my director of special ed is a very close personal friend of mine. She knows my stance. We're not on the same end of the spectrum. But she never bothered me about it. Now, the nurse, the head nurse, that's the head of the district, who is directly across the hall from me, I like to see her every day. And I would just smile, you know, say good morning and, you know, just keep living life like this wasn't reality because I'm not accepting this reality. So, um, they did not mandate now, okay. Uh, let's see. Okay, we didn't stop wearing masks until this late spring when the governor... I think it was in March when he lifted the mandate for the state. But I'm going to be honest with you. My, I, we never, in my city, in this district where I live, I don't live in the city where our central office is. But in my city, we never wore masks anywhere. Our kids, our, our boys played ball. We went to Florida for the World Series. We never skipped a beat. We kept living. And in my city, most of the people... Never wore the mask. I mean, some did, but n not the majority. Um, so uh, when he lifted that, that wasn't that big of a deal for me. Now, I made it more comfortable for people at the office and on the schools to um, to not wear them. Uh, that maybe wouldn't have worn them had they had a little bit more courage to stand up yeah. and say no. Given the fact that they were 
coercing people monetarily uh, uh-huh. for individuals to take the the COVID tests. Did they do the uh-huh. same? Did they do the same with the jabs? No. Uh, well, not from the district's perspective, but in the state, there were lots of incentives that were being presented. Um, kind of like you saw in other parts of the country, you know, gift cards, uh, just stupid stuff. Was, that is like, was, okay. was there any kind of like a, because again, here in Ohio, Mike DeWine one summer, I think it was last summer, did a statewide uh, vaccination raffle, basically. And if you had two, if you had two vaccinations and you could prove it, uh, and then upload your your vaccination card or whatever, then you had you were in the running for a million dollars. Was there anything like that oh. that took place at the state level? Not that I'm aware of. I know there was little pockets of um, if you do this, well, you know, little incentives to not not something massive like that, and. You know, I I just kind of like I'm not even looking and listening and paying attention to some of that because I was just like that's bull bull crap. <laughs> I'm not doing it, so I just it kind of ignored it. Um, uh, but I will say, from all of this, we have some fantastic parents, and I got involved in some very good groups online. Um, uh, we have. We have uh, Health Freedom Louisiana and Save Our Schools, SOS. When parents started say, seeing some of these things, and this was before even critical race, it started with the mask mandates and the start, and then the, uh, the distancing and just everything. Parents are just like, wait a minute. You know, not around here. It's not a very active group here where I am, but in the bigger cities and um, uh, the more redder the redder population districts, I guess I could say. Um, and we've been very active about preventing, well, getting laws. Um, and, well, let me think how I want to say that. We have, I'm going to send you those links and you can look into it. Um, we, on Telegram and on Facebook, we've been promoting a lot of information like, um, Louisiana actually has, we're very fortunate to have the best vaccine exemption policy in America. I mean, like, I think the governor um, is in the process or he has recently added the COVID vaccine to the mandated uh, immunization uh, requirements to enter a public school system. Um, However, we have a really great system as far as getting out of it or opting out of it. And it, it's pretty ironclad, you know. Um, and we also pushed a bill to ensure that school districts have to provide parents with the information that would help them decide or apply for an exemption. You know, they're not telling parents you don't need this. You don't need these vaccinations. Or this is how you could get away without. You know, you can attend school without having to take these um, immunization shots. They're not telling parents that, but now they have to. And yeah. there's actually we have billboards, <laughs> great big old billboards uh, that show um, healthfreedomlouisiana.org. Text student 
to 504 57 and then that sends you uh, a link and it gets you directly connected with the information you need and we have those going up and we have legislation we we have um some really great mama bears um in uh other parishes that have really really been fighting for not only critical race theory but all these mass mandates and everything <clears throat> and um you know going to the lawmakers and our senators and um our reps and getting them to fight with us and for us uh we have some really good warriors should i say at the capitol fighting against you know our governor um what i wanted to say about that we have like let's see uh we have bills like HCR3 um, to prevent addition of COVID vaccines and boosters required for school attendance. I think that's to try to change his original um, decision. Oh, and HB1022, uh, no liability, no mandate. Um, and we've been pretty effective. They send out, they've gotten really good. They send out a little text message to all of us who are involved, and they send you to a link. You can share it out, and it's pre-filled out voter voice, and you kind of, it, it gives you all your reps, whoever is affected or promoting this on the House or, you know, legislature, whoever needs to be contacted, they put it out, and it, it's a pre-formed information saying vote yes or vote no or support this and you can add information and it goes directly to them i know i have friends that i have a friend that's a, a state rep <laughs> he's so tired of hearing from me but he's doing our work you know we're pushing those things and i'm sharing as much information socially as i can for parents that don't know um about this now that's excellent but, um and not just me. I mean, like, I'm very minor. The, there are some moms that they're in Baton Rouge and at the Capitol all the time and contacting uh, our reps and our legislature to get these things going. Now, at the beginning of this school year, and tell me if you want me to stop or backtrack. Let me ask you one more question before you continue about the jabs. What What percentage do you think, ballpark percentage, of your uh, of the employees within your district have taken these shots less than 50 actually 50 i would say about 30 percent have actually done it all right i, I would say that because uh, a lot of people now unless they're lying a lot of people are saying i'm not doing that you know right. and they're not yeah. but um even what amazes me is that the african-american community over here are so supportive of it and then i see other places of the parts of the country like in new york and other you know cities and they're like oh hell no look at what they did with all of um you know all these historically when they with um did experiments yeah on people of color and it's like they're not trusting that or buying into that at all i don't know why our people culturally around here or i just don't know they just too trusting i guess i don't know have there, have there been any uh again sorry to interrupt but have, have there been any deaths or adverse reactions that have been publicized that you're aware of either with staff members or students there have been um not students 
staff members. We've lost a lot of people. Um, actually, uh, a buddy of mine passed away this weekend of a massive heart attack, and I know he was double vaccinated, and I'm pretty sure he took a booster recently. And he was a heavy guy, you know, um, and he was just recently married, and he had a massive heart attack and died. And he's probably younger than me, probably late 40s. Um, yeah. Wow. I mean, that, that kind of hit hard because he's, he was my buddy with technology, you know, on another in another aspect of the district. Um, I was pretty shocked, but, but not really. You know, he's he. I knew he was vaccinated, and not now. Publicly, are they going to ever say that or connect that? No, I doubt it. Matter of fact, when somebody gets sick or something happens that's really odd, my husband wants to knock me out because <laughs> the first thing as I say is, "Were they vaccinated? Did they take the jab?" You know? Yeah. And and it's true. And people are like, "I can't believe you're saying that." Well, but it's true. Of course. Have you, yeah. Have you read into the, any of this? Are you looking at any of this? Um, anyway, um, so no injury wise, just no, most of the people that took it around here, um, they were really sick, but nothing, nothing like what I've seen in the news and now other parts of the state. Yes. Not locally. Gotcha. I know in Baton Rouge, there's been some, you know, situations. Okay. Um, well, we've had a lot of deaths around here. And I know him, we had a nursing home that had, a, it's, this is, I'm serious. You know, it wasn't like New York, but we had a, a, an elderly care center, a nursing home where a lot of people were sick. I mean, quite a few deaths when this first started. Um, so now, I mean, it's, it's kind of quiet other than, we're no longer taking temperatures and those uh, those electronic door frames where we were being scanned. Um, and that's all been kind of put to the side. Just still testing for PCR tests. They wanted to, uh, a new, some new, three new bonds and tax proposals. Well, first of all, they were doing this very low key. Because um, they, presented this for the spring um, when there was really nothing else being voted on. But they were promoting it within the, um, the district with teachers and, and educators and staff members. And um, I think they were banking on this passing, like, and then they, they dangled a little $600 pay raise for the year by promoting and, um, uh, encouraging voting for this bond and tax proposals to uh to increase our our meals you know property taxes to build three new high schools and to renovate new um to renovate some old sports complex you know like football fields and track fields uh for them you know athletic athletic facilities and capital improvements and a little tiny bit to teach your salaries. <clears throat> but the majority of the people like myself that own property, I mean, once you have homestead exemption, you know, you're not, 
I have homestead exemption on my property, but that doesn't cover all of my property taxes because of the value of my property. And a lot of us on this level are in that same position. Now, a lot of people that are renting, you know, well, that's not going to apply to them. And even people that have homestead exemption that covers their property taxes, um, what they fail to realize is that, you know, maybe it won't affect them, the increase, but the rest of us, it will. And even the rental property, well, your rent's going to go up. If your landlord's property taxes goes up, you know, who's going to eat that? You. And they failed to see that um, initially. But they were pushing for all this. And then the population in, in my community, and people were like, what about all that money they got? Well, I don't know. You know, some of it had to be spent a certain way on certain things, and they were limited. So we couldn't just take that money and put it toward renovating these facilities. Although some places did, you know, everybody was a little bit different. But that failed. That proposal failed with 82% voting no. And um, once we kind of, some of us kind of got the word out, hey, this is going to be on a ballot. And maybe a lot of people are going to vote. Because it's not that big of a, a, how do they call that? One of my friends nomin- uh, told me that. It's like they were trying to sneak it in. And it's like, well, if nobody votes, but the few people that do vote and it passes, well, then it passes. You know? Kind yeah. of sneaky, kind of tricky way to get it in. Because they weren't publicly promoting this. There was no big signs that were on highways and in yards saying, vote yes. Or, you know, these uh, taxes, it was just being presented to us on the school level. And they were dangling this $600 a year carrot, hoping that we would say, oh, yeah, let's do that. We'll get new facilities and a little $600, you know, a year pay increase. So let's just vote yes. I, I think personally that's what that was what their intentions were. And then when the public started realizing, wait a minute, and then banners and signs started going up vote no well it failed thank god that is good these schools these school districts across america are bankrupt they're just bankrupt they are wasting so much money they are they're attempting now even again where i live they're they're about to put uh a levy on the next ballot i think to again just give them an extra flood of of cash on the backs of property owners Mm-hmm. And they have no idea that uh, their entire business is crumbling. Again, you know, you, you mentioned at the beginning the lack of student enrollment and how at least 1,000 to 1,500 students are just no longer there. Right. Um, I mean, what is it like with, with the resignations of employees? Oh, I'm glad you asked. That was something I wanted to bring up. Um, we have had... At the beginning of this school year, we had 75 teacher positions open. Wow. Vacant. 75. Um, and we worked really hard to get people to come and take a position and work for us. But um, it, it's still currently 65 vacant teaching positions as of now. And that's just teachers. That's not parents, not bus drivers not administration or um, cafeteria, you know, any of those people. And we have had situations at a middle school 
in middle schools, you know, well, nature of the beast. Fifth and sixth grade, oh, God bless those teachers. I know it's hard. Um, but we've, we've had situations where there's just nobody that wants to go to this school and teach over there. So you have two sections of fifth grade combined into one large library room with, uh, if we're lucky, a para-educator in there to assist, um, or a sub, a long-term sub hired to assist with a certified teacher in there, or, and I'll, you're going to love this one, the janitor. Wow. In there, helping out. Wow. <laughs> and, and, and no, no oh disrespect God. to the janitor. The janitors, you know, they're very... They know the school and they know the systems and they know the kids. So that in that way, it's good. But um, I mean, you we have janitors subbing or helping out subbing. We cannot hire subs. That's another thing. We cannot hire subs. Nobody wants to substitute. Nobody wants to come and, and, and be a long-term sub or even, you know, I'm here two days because Miss So-and-so has strep throat or whatever is out or maternity it has to break the contract of a custodian in order to actually be a substitute and a custodian i mean aren't they unionized there's no way that that uh they would be able to do both and i can't imagine many of them wanting to do both uh, you know are they getting paid a little bit under the table i don't know i i honestly i'm I have no idea how that is working. I don't know if they're getting paid different or in addition. I, I don't even know if the custodians are aware that they don't have to do this. If they don't want to. I don't even know if they realize their own rights or if they're knowledgeable of it. Nobody from the district level is going to tell them otherwise because they need them. That's incredible. You know? they, have to be yeah. co they have to be coercing them in, in some yeah. way. Yeah, either they're strong-arming them or they're giving them an incentive, should I say, to do it. Let me ask you this then, because again, you just mentioned the substitute shortage and how you can't get any subs, like most mm -hmm. places, frankly. Are they creating a backdoor way for individuals to become certified teachers because they're so short-staffed? Um, there's not a backdoor way other than... Um, you know, they're really pushing, they're doing, you know, bonuses and compensation and the state has these fast track programs <clears throat> uh, for getting your certification. They have not started up anything, you know, uh, in alternate certification. Yeah, no, they're just going based on the state, you know. Okay. Um, just, uh, there's a lot of, you know, new district hired certified, a thousand dollar bonus, um, a stipend given in the summer, you know, all the, and then this is kind of like, I know I'm at the top of the pay scale as an educator, I've maxed out, but a new teacher, hell, when I first started teaching in 1993, I was making $18,000 a year in my district. That's it. And now new teachers, I guess they're 35, 
I'm thinking, I'm not sure. Of course, the cost of living around here is a lot lower than, you know, other parts of the state and other parts of the country. Um, but, I mean, these, these new hires are getting almost two and $3,000 a year more just because they signed up in the district. Now, that's a one-time deal, but still. Um, uh, then, oh, another thing. We've got a lot of retirees, and I've been approached by this. Why don't you go ahead and retire? Do you drop, do retirement, and then come back and we'll hire you as a teacher? Number one, I'm not going back in the classroom. Number two, I'm getting as far away from education in the public school system as possible. I mean, I love teaching. I love learning and the kids. I love it all. Even my, you know, my new teachers and helping them. But um, I'm not double dipping because that's basically what it comes down to. I mean, that doesn't even seem right. What industry lets you retire and come back and you're getting retirement from your state but then you're going to go ahead and get another paycheck from the state or the district and it's all in the, the disguise that well we need certified teachers yeah you're right we do but I, I just don't see how this is and i'm sure it's legal it just seems backwards as far as breaking yeah. the back of the system yeah it's remarkably unethical yeah i would think so and then you know if you retire as a principal you know, I'm not sure what it is where you where you are, but okay. Even myself, I'm on the district level. I'm not a nine month employee. I retire at this salary. I come back into the system. Well, I know I'm only getting a percentage of my retirement right now, but then I come back into the system. I'm not starting off as a brand new teacher. Yeah, I'm starting off at the top end of the you know the the pay scale. So. Financially doesn't make any sense. There's so much waste, so much waste, and personal interests and little pet projects that I, I see now why what I didn't understand and I couldn't really grasp when I was actually in the classroom before I took this position um, with my with my visually impaired students. I had a, what we would call a vanilla blind child, meaning she was just blind. So we did everything in Braille, and um, I saw her daily for a couple of hours. And um, but academically, cognitively, physically, other than the blindness, she was a perfectly normal child. So she's on the fast—not fast track. I'm sorry, she's on the track to get a high school diploma. Um, I'm in her classrooms a lot, and I, I'm not a high school teacher, so I don't know. And all I'm seeing is these students are on Chromebooks learning Khan Academy, you know, like, I'm like, where's the teaching? Is it because we don't have certified people that know what they're doing? Or is it just easier to put them on a computer and let it go? It's both. I, I just couldn't, I couldn't understand it, you know, yeah. laziness. And then like, I hear all this teacher burnout. Yes, there is teacher burnout. But let me tell you, they're lazy. They, they dress poorly, they're in t-shirts, they're in khakis, and I guess you're thinking as an administrator, well, you know, you're begging them to come to work, let's make them comfortable or whatever, but you're not looking the part, they're all grumpy, they're all unhappy, they're all frumpy, but they're all lazy. Well, let me, let me not say all, I shouldn't say that, they're not all like that, 
but a lot. Yeah. Like I just didn't see that when I was in the classroom. I didn't see that growing up. And you wonder why there's behavior problems and discipline issues. You're not commanding that respect or, or, or you're not having pride in yourself, much less how are your kids going to have pride in themselves or what they do or their work or you. And maybe that's a superficial way of looking at it, but I mean, I'm a strong believer in you, you look, you walk the walk and you know, you, I don't know what I'm trying to say. If you're going to say it and, and act it out and walk it, you better back it in. Yep. And if you, if you can't do it, fake it till you make it. You're going to get it. It takes a while. You're not instantly a great teacher. So, I, you know, I just, I don't know. It breaks my heart. I don't know what the alternatives are. What do you see happening in the education business, not just with where you live and, of course, your perspective on everything, but what, what do you see in the field of education here going forward? What do you see happening to it? It's dying. I have been, I mean, it's, it's just a dying entity. It's, it's already so state run and mandated and they have federally, federal government has your hand, their hands and everything. And I know in special education, it's different. They, they do, but, um, uh, I see so many people taking their kids out and if they can put them in private school, they, they do. If it's a private school, that's not being directed by the diocese, you know, um, or just starting homeschool groups. There's a lot of little homeschool groups that have come up. I was approached by someone, you know, well, why don't you, uh, why don't we pay you to homeschool? Well, no, I don't want to teach anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just don't want to teach anymore. And I don't want to go run a, a program. I, I mean, I would have to take a break personally if I decided to go you know, retire and then maybe do some kind of private entity, you know, with a church or a small group. But I don't, you know, I just don't see myself wanting to do it. I need a break before I would ever jump in again like that. But I do see there are a lot of younger, good teachers. We're losing them. Where are they going and what are they doing? I'm not sure. I would suspect they're homeschooling or private schooling and jumping on with these private schools and getting in there. And again, you, you said it yourself that the teacher education programs aren't pumping out mm -mm. teachers. So, nope. I mean, what's happening with those teacher education programs from, from what you can tell? Um, there are just not a lot of students graduating in them. You know, as far as I know, they're still, they're still functioning on campus, you know, um, but it used to be we, we have a small two-year college in this district, in the city that I live in. Um, and when I graduated from college, it became, it was, there were so many of us in education. Um, and people were commuting. And, well, the four-year college down the road, an hour away, established a program with this two-year college to promote education and make it easier for us to, you know, who had families, you know, and wanted to get their teaching degree without having to leave and go to a bigger city and go away for a while. So they could still work at the bank, work on a certification or, I mean, a, a teaching degree, and then ultimately teach. I don't know 
that that's still happening right now. I don't even know if that program's still in effect. I mean, and there that was about 15, 20 years of good teachers being pumped out of there. And I don't see any of these student teachers. I used to come across them across the district. I don't see master teachers having them anymore. Um, I, I don't know where they are. Are they back in the four year in the city, you know, at this the bigger university to get this degree? And they're just not because of the man for it has dwindled that they're not doing it like a satellite program. You know, I don't know. I, I, I just, I really am at a loss of words. I just don't know what to do or how to fix this. It's going to have to die and crash and evolve. Uh, what comes from the ashes is something else that evolves into something better, maybe. Something uh, more authentic and uh, natural. You know, just like them taking, just, I'm going to go back to when the DSEG program, when this federal judge came in and DSEG this. And that's how we refer to it. Um, you know, they took me out of my community. They're taking people who grew up in this little neighborhood and maybe left and went to college. But then some of the family still lives here. And a cousin, you know, they. and I know, like what you said, going, leaving your city and coming back and teaching there. Uh, that's not where I grew up at. But they took me out of my community. Even though it's not where I grew up at, it's where my kids were at in school. It's where I shopped. It's where I saw people at the ballpark, um, interacted with my community. I knew these parents. And, you know, I'm taken away from there. And I'm in a new area and element. And, and it, it had its perks. I didn't know anybody. I had no preconceived ideas and notions. And, you know, I didn't know little Johnny's family were all, you know, in prison and all this stuff, I just looked at little Johnny and I'm, you're going to be the best learner that I can get, you know? So it, it was good in that way, but it takes that like ownership of the community. You know, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, that totally blew that up. You know, I, I think it's going to have to come back to a village raising a child, a village re educating a child, you know? And, and, and I don't know, early childhood. See, that was my first degree and my first love is early childhood. I mean, I know online learning is great. I just, uh, I guess it would have to be private pods, homeschooling in groups and clusters. Yeah. You know, I don't know. What about, what about where you are? How, how are they educating, you know, like are people graduating in education and, and pursuing jobs? There's no way that the enrollment at the university where where I live, which is the same university where I graduated from, there's no way that uh, that they're meeting the necessary enrollment numbers in order to sustain a teacher education department. You know, yeah, it, I would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, because again, just like public schools, universities operate on the numbers of students who enroll. And if they aren't there, uh -huh. they cut the program. The, the, problem, uh -huh. the problem with these teacher educators, so to speak, is they have no idea that their philosophies and their, just the way that they think and, and what they're doing is the reason why the business is crumbling. They, oh, yeah, they're completely oblivious. Yeah, they don't want to take any responsibility for it whatsoever. And they also don't seem to understand 
that when they don't meet their necessary enrollment as a department, the university notices that and education departments are usually the first to get cut. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm looking at numbers of, you know, it cannot be that we just don't have 70, you know, it can't be that we have 75 positions in this parish uh, that are vacant because people just moved out of the parish. No one, no one's going anywhere. So people are retiring and there's nobody to fill those spots. That's what it looks like to me. That's what it seems like to me. They've abused too many people for too long. It, oh, it, absolutely. I mean, unfortunately, it has become the entire profession has just become a laughing stock. Well, we always had this little saying, um, if you screw up or mess up, you move up. Okay. If you're a good teacher, your prize is that you get to have more. If you're a really good teacher and you can handle these kids and you can reach them and, you know, you do such a good job. Well, we're just going to keep giving you all the troubled kids or the, the difficult kids to teach. Um, that's your reward. But, you know, Julie down the lane, who's a horrible teacher, can't control this or that, or even administrator. Well, they, they you know, when they're tenured, you know, so you can't get rid of them. So all you can do is shuffle them around. But let's put them in a less uh, damaging position. And it's sad. Because that's the people who starts making policy and decisions for us. And we really have some stupid people in education. I'm, I mean, I hate to be ugly, but we really do. I mean, yeah. if you were ever on one of these Zoom calls for the school board meeting, you would know what I'm talking about. And that's, that's not just my parish. That's the entire state. I don't know about other states, but that's my state. Although, we have some really good spots really great spots it's just it's 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 limited as far as a state i see why we're last on a lot of things but but um those that can are fighting for our kids for our communities and trying to take it back um i guess i don't know <laughs> like they're talking about they brought up monkeypox Already in the halls, I hear them chattering about it, and it's like, oh, dear God, here we go again. Have we not learned anything? It's so amazing. They haven't They haven't learned anything. But I think some people thrive on that drama. They do. And it's like, ugh, Jesus Christ, help me. I'm losing my patience. Yep. And you said and it, and, and you said it earlier too. The school nurses are arguably the biggest problem in this entire fiasco. I yes. mean, the the panic that they're inducing in people is getting people killed because they want that notoriety, that acknowledgement, that feeling needed and important, but at what cost? Yeah. You know, instead of, I don't think I've met one school nurse in this district that is awake. Not one. And I mean, they're not a lot, but that's what's being, they're, they're reporting back from the Louisiana Department of Health, the CDC, the who, all these higher power, they don't even, when they started mandating and 
demanding things. My first thought was, I raised my hand and said, a mandate is not a law. It's just a, you know, it's kind of a bullying tactic. It's not a law. None of this is a law. How can we comply with this? I'm not complying with it. I'm not following through. And, and I think people just don't, well, they don't know how laws are created anymore or how, you know, we've been asleep way too long. And they just listen to what's being told to them by that little black box on their living room, you know, entertainment center or what they're told at the schools or what they're told in the doctor's office. I remember back in 2020 telling friends at the end of 2020 that they're labeling, mislabeling deaths in hospitals as COVID deaths. And, it, you know, it was a motorcycle accident. And they're like, no way. You're crazy. Now you're a conspiracy theorist. And I'm like, I'm telling you, because I was on parlor and all of that back then <laughs> until we got nuked. Um, and I said, no, they are. They're paying hospitals so much money per person that's identified as a COVID death or uh, you know, there's an incentive. This isn't true. It's, it's not valid. They're not. They're not being accurate. They're lying to us. Well, then everybody would have to be lying to us. I said, well, it's, it's a pretty big lie. <laughs> yeah. It certainly is. It certainly is. And they're lying again, and they're just going to keep lying because, again, they, they don't uh, – I don't know. The school districts well, and the school district officials do not want to ever come to grips with reality because the humble pie that they would have to eat would be – That they were wrong, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think maybe there are a lot of people in our government that, you know, maybe know it's wrong, but they won't admit it. They won't. Yeah, they're dead silent about it, too. And I'm telling you what, you've, you've heard me say this, I think, on the podcast before, but if, if people thought that the mask wearing and the CRT stuff and, and all of those arguments and uproars that occurred at school board meetings was, was bad, wait until, wait until parents start showing up because of their jab-injured children. Oh. And they start showing oh, up in these yeah. school board meetings because the school board members were pushing the jabs or administrators were pushing the jabs or whatever it is. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I don't want to be around for that because sometimes I'm like, okay, I always have to reevaluate myself and say, was I in any way complicit in promoting any of this? No, no. I wore a mask. I checked my temperature, but that was it. I did not support or promote anything, but let me let me tell you one other little tidbit here. In this district, the majority of administration administrators and higher ups and teachers guess where their children attend schools? Private. So, yep. Yep. I would be as bold enough to say ninety percent of our higher ups. And educators, maybe not the, you know, custodian and cafeteria people or, you know, the majority of the people in this, there's 50 people in my building that I work in and we're all on the district level. I would say 90% of us have kids in private school. What does that say about your district? Yep. 
I mean, if it's not, this is how my, my approach to teaching was. I never treated a child in a manner that I would not want my own children to be handled or talked to or dealt with, you know? Not that they were my kids. I'm not taking that ownership, but I treated them with the same the same way I wanted my children to be taken care of when I'm not around. So if I don't feel safe enough to leave my kid in this environment, and neither do you, what does it say about our, our own environment? What's wrong with that picture? And now that now that we've had re- a reduction in, in enrollment, and we have about three, and now that this um, tax didn't pass, this bond, property bond, or millage, whatever, I'm not very savvy with all that kind of those vocabulary words, but now that that has failed, those proposals have failed. There's three schools in the outskirts, out, outer line areas that are going to probably have to close. And those children and those teachers will have to be absorbed somewhere in the district. And then that's another fight because those people in those little areas, they don't want to lose their school. Well, the you know? school districts have not planned for this. They, they have no plan for what they've done to themselves. Mm-hmm. It's just, mm-hmm. it's going to be one serious cover up after another. And I mean, that's not going to change. That's just going to get worse. And again, they're not going to accept any responsibility for anything. Nope. They'll blame it on somebody, but it, you know, and I, I'm thinking, okay, what's going to happen next year when we have, more people that leave or more people that decide to homeschool or send their child to private school or some other option, we're going to start losing teachers or maybe that's where they're going to find those 75 teachers to be replaced. I don't know. I just know, I think I have about a year and a half left (laughs) and I'm going, I'm leaving. I don't know what I'll do, but not this. And it's really sad because I really loved my job. And I thought I could do this for another 25 years. Because it was so rewarding. But no, not with the bureaucracy and and just the environment. I mean, like, they're all talking about monkeypox. And it's like, oh, I don't want to even be here. <laughs> you know? You're not going to um, be there to watch all the monkey monkeypox hysteria, huh? No, I'm not. That's good. I'm not buying into it. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just not. I don't know. What, I don't know if it's uh, if if it's another pandemic, you know, and and a hoax and a manipulation of numbers and information, or if it's something real that they're gonna pull on us and eliminate us with, you know, eliminate all these people and the population decrease, or if it's or if it's because of the vaccinations that it's coming out in that way, I don't know. Yeah, it's vaccination related. Well, you know, okay, my mother and I, and my mother is a very strong, born-again Christian, okay? Before the vaccinations and everything got rolling, we had lots of discussion. Next thing I know, she's vaccinated because she works at a pharmacy as um, a clerk in this little part-time half-day job one day a week and her pharmacist told her oh you know it's okay she took it 
Well, we had a come to Jesus meeting um, for Easter, and I showed her a lot of information and a lot of videos of adverse reactions and, you know, a lot of things. So she said, I'm not getting the second shot. And she hasn't. That was her first shot. Don't you know, um, this past spring, she came down with a case of shingles. And I told her, I said, there you go. There you go. That is exactly what we're what I've been telling you. And I, I had her crying. <laughs> Scared her, poor baby. But, I mean, and then now they're talking about all these shingles and the adverse reactions. I said, that that's, I'm leaning like you, thinking that that's where it's coming from. All these cardiac arrests and all these, this isn't a mystery. There's a, it's connected. It may not want to own up to it, but it is connected. I'm sorry so, to hear, I'm sorry to hear that about your mom. You know, we, we, I mean, we all have, we all have family members that have taken it. They don't know what they've done. Uh, you know, some of them have had adverse reactions and gotten sick. Some of them haven't, and they think they're a hundred percent fine and everybody's just lying about it. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's not going to get better. No, she's recovered fine. They gave her medication. And I mean, I, I don't know what the long-term effects of that will be with shingles, but she's good. She was just very, she was in a lot of pain and uncomfortable for uh, uh, at least a month or more. But um, I said, Mom, don't do it. Don't listen to them. I'm telling you. So, but thank you. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.